Well, let's begin in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So how do we begin? It's been a a strange several months of transition here, really good and, and rich time of transition. There have been tears and there's been belly laughter at times. There's been a lot of fatigue and and lots to sort through, but here we are, here today. I pondered for months what I would say to you on a Sunday like this, the first one in a new era for me and for our church. It's new in new era in my developing call as a pastor, and the first one for our church without a long-standing pastor, Pastor Paul. So it's the kind of Sunday where you kind of want to get your words right especially when your New Testament professor is sitting right here. (laughs) So it's appropriate for us uh, to be studying the book of James this summer for lots of different reasons, not the least of which is that James is a letter that's written in a time of massive leadership transitions for the church. James actually doesn't uh, identify himself in this letter, but there's lots of reason to assert that this is indeed James who is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who's writing this letter. We know from the Gospels that James was not one of Jesus' followers during his ministry. That was in the text that was read for us in 1 Corinthians 15, that the resurrected Jesus did appear to James, and this must have affected him greatly because he quickly became an important leader and eventually became the leader of the church, the Christian church in Jerusalem. Not only that, But this is most likely the earliest letter of the New Testament, the earliest letter that we have actually written. He writes to Jewish Christians while certainly being mindful of the Gentiles in their community and realizing that the gospel may very well be opened up to these Gentiles in short order. So as I read James's words, there's a raw element to them. It's very straightforward. You can feel the kind of seismic shifts that are occurring in the church that he cares so much about. So where does James begin? How does James begin in the midst of such rapid change, in the midst of these transitions? Well, the way he begins is very instructive uh, for me this morning, and I think for us. This is why I want to focus on that one short verse, James chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how he begins. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This is not uh, an odd way to begin a letter. James follows the form of most Hellenistic letters of the time by beginning with a salutation to his audience. It's similar to the form that Paul repeatedly uses in his letters. And it may not seem like there's much to this beginning by James. We might just read over it quickly. But I think there's a ton here for us to understand and to ponder. So let me dig into these 19 words a little more deeply. First, James starts with a title. I've had uh, a lot of different titles in my ministry career going back to even college days. I've been pastor and intern and director, coordinator, minister. I was even custodian for a while. In this church alone, Hinsdale Covenant Church, I'm on my fourth title today. I started as youth pastor here to this church, and then after a while that kind of morphed into 
pastor to youth and families, and then we had a shift in our leadership model, and it changed to just being pastor, and now today I take on a new title of lead pastor. Earlier on in my career, I, I resisted any title other than pastor, and in some ways I kind of still do. I'm not that moved by titles. I'm not that motivated by titles. But I have grown to see that titles can matter at a certain level. The decision over the title of lead pastor here at this church was a long one with a lot of people speaking into it, a lot of voices speaking into that. It's a title that's meant to communicate that we have a staff here at this church, and, and they are a team, and I'm really charged with leading that team as the shepherd, as we all together shepherd you as a church. Titles matter, not because of the status that they bring, but because of what they convey to those who read them and who see them. So what title does James choose for himself? James, a servant. This is really a startling choice of title. In terms of authority and prominence and influence, James was really at the apex. One of the authors I read this week said that he was essentially the, the prime minister of early Christianity. He was the top leader in the most important city. He was the big guy at headquarters. Not only that, but his status as the half-brother of Jesus made him an immediate authority to anyone. I mean, it's kind of an impressive person to be able to name drop, right? Like, yeah, I know Jesus. He's my half-brother. <laughs> Despite all of this, James begins by taking the title servant. He uses the Greek word doulos, which can be translated in several different ways. Our NRSV translation chooses the word servant, but this is also the word for slave. It's a word that has been discussed ad nauseum because of the severity of the word slave and the, the baggage that we, have that we have with that word, especially in our American context. Slave actually is probably not the best translation, I don't think, anyways, in this case. I think the best translation is bond servant, bond servant. A bondservant was a slave, someone who served, someone who was subservient to a master, laying aside their own interests so that they could serve their master. What makes bondservants interesting is they did it of their own accord. It was their choice. They weren't conscripted into the service or bought as a slave, but rather they chose of their own accord to bind themselves to their master. Bondservants swore unconditional allegiance to their masters and gave their lives serving them. And who is James a bondservant of? He's fairly clear about that, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning most likely that he's in bond service to the God of Judaism and the Jewish Messiah Christ who is the object of this new Christian movement. I marvel at this chosen title by James. Paul, the apostle, uh, that's his title that he chooses, apostle. So does Peter. And that's a title that conveys some authority and some prominence. It makes readers sit up at attention and go, ah, I better listen to what they have to say. But James doesn't do this. Neither does his brother Jude. Some people find this so odd that they figure, well, it can't really be the James that we think it is that wrote this letter. Because he would probably say he was Jesus' half-brother. He would talk about his prominence in the city of Jerusalem. But no, this is most certainly Jesus' half-brother James. It's more likely that James omits this important familial relationship and his status because he doesn't think that that's what gives him extra authority. Instead, 
he stresses that as a fellow slave, a bondservant in God, in Christ, he's just like his readers. Obviously, he was compelled by the gospel of his half-brother Jesus to such a degree that this was the title of honor that he chose, a servant. I'm sure that some of you might find this language a little severe today, and you're not alone. I read a lot of commentators this week who really try hard to soften this language. They prefer the word servant and choose to focus on Jesus' humil- uh, James's humility, his commitment to a life of service, and even using James 1.1 as a way of lifting up the virtues of servant leadership. But we have to remember that James isn't talking here about servant leadership or serving other people, as virtuous as those things might be. He's talking about being a bondservant to Jesus. This is about his status. There is no way for us to neuter this. He's saying, Jesus took off the shackles that previously made me enslaved to sin, and in response, I picked up the shackles that bind me to him as a bondservant. And that's the most important thing I know about me. That's what he's saying. Some of my favorite poetry is from John Donne and his love sonnets. And in a section called Batter My Heart, he ends with this confession and prayer. He says, take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you enthrall me unless you enthrall me never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. This is what James is saying. I find my freedom in being enslaved, in being a bondservant to Jesus. I do have a visual for you this morning. Uh, When I was getting ready to move to college, uh, I was rooting through some stuff in my desk, and I had a uh, bookshelf next to my next to my desk, and as I was rooting through things and putting them in boxes, here's the things I'm going to keep, here's the things I'm going to take. I saw a lock, and I said, "Oh, that's my lock from high school. I think I might be able to use that for my bike, or for if I needed a locker or something like that." So I just thought, "Well, I'll just clip it to this bookshelf." And um, then I realized as soon as I clipped it, that I had no idea what the combination <laughs> for that was. It became a a little bit of a joke, and it's still kind of a joke in our marriage because it lived in every single dorm room and apartment that I was in, and I would try and hide it in other ways because I really liked this bookshelf. It was a nice bookshelf, but this lock just stood there. This, I took this this morning in my basement. You can see it's holding, it's holding some boots there, and I've even had a couple people look at it and say, well, you know, we'd have to really hack this thing up if we want to take this lock off, but you know, every time I I walk past this, and this has been a long time now. Every time I walk past this, I'm reminded of that period in my life. And I look back and I go, you know, that was really a period in my life where I was starting to sense God's call to ministry in my life. Where I was starting to sense that God was grooming me to be a pastor. And as I walked by it numerous times this this week down in the basement, I started to look at that and I started to go, now there's a visual that I can really relate to on this morning. This is where I choose to begin. That question, how do we begin? This is where I choose to begin in this new step of the journey. Certainly a new journey for me, but really for all of us, more importantly. Just as James' readers knew that he was the leader of Jerusalem Church and he was Jesus' half-brother, so here you know me. You've known me for 12 years here at this church. The title on the back of the bulletin now reads, lead pastor, you've installed me into that role today, which means 
a great, great deal to me, more than you can know. This title is descriptive, and it's helpful to understand what I do and what I've been charged with. But I want you to hear this. As much as uh, a source of accountability is anything, the only title that really matters to me is a servant, a bondservant of Christ. If I could put that on my business card without scaring people, I would. <laughs> because that's who I am. I didn't know what I was doing when I started this journey. It's sort of like the absent-minded clicking the lock onto the, onto the bookcase. I just locked onto Jesus, and I went where he led. Jesus has battered my heart, and I admit that if Jesus doesn't absolutely enthrall me every day, I'll never be free. I don't accept this call for the adulation or the influence or the power or the title. I choose it because I'm bound to Jesus and my relationship with him leads me here. My freedom, my life, comes only from my very life being bound to Jesus, locked on to Jesus. Everything else is just a title. I can't promise you that I'm going to lead perfectly. I can't promise that my sermons are going to be home runs or that my vision for this church is going to be perfect. I can't promise that I'm going to meet all of your needs or have all the right words or lead my staff perfectly, but I can promise you, I can promise you that I will rise each and every day and I'll bind myself yet again to Jesus. He'll be the source of my identity and my ministry and I'm going to cling to him with all that I have. But lest this sermon be too much about me, let me ask the question. What title means the most to you? What title informs your every day? As I look out at this church today, I think of some of the titles that you hold, the amount of influence and prominence in the community and marketplace and in the home represented in this church is really staggering. We've got CEOs and doctors and super moms and market analysts and PTO presidents and teachers and sales gurus and landscapers and students and retirees. I have my three dearest friends here today, which is really exciting to me. Dave, somewhere over there, he's an assistant principal at a school. Paul, right there, he's a pastor. These are some of the titles they have. Tim does something with computers. I don't really understand what it is, but, <laughs> but let me tell you one thing that I love about these guys and why they've been fuel for my ministry is they are bond servants of Jesus Christ first, and it informs everything else that they do. And that makes them compelling Christian men in all of their various titles. And it's not just pastors like James or me that get to claim bond service to Christ. You do too. Heck, my, my dad is here today, and he's a mime. That's what he does. <laughs> you can laugh. It's funny. He's a mime, but he's a mime who first and foremost has bound himself to Jesus. And guess what? That makes him a super compelling mime. That's his chosen title, and that's the title that you can choose as well, servant, bondservant of Jesus. Can you ponder for just a moment what it would look like, what kind of kingdom work our church could do if we all took the titles and the influence and the prominence that comes with them and, and placed them behind the primary title of servant of God and Christ Jesus? And that's not just for those of you with fancy titles either. Kids who are here I want you to listen to me. I want your eyes on me. Don't just be a third grader or a junior high or a high schooler or a college student, wherever you are. 
be a servant of Jesus who locks on to Jesus and let that inform the way that you're a student. Stay-at-home parents, you have incredible influence, seminal influence in your homes and with your children and their friends, but not nearly as much influence in your homes as if you first and foremost cling to Jesus each and every day. Retirees, you have time and energy and resources and wisdom to impart to this church and everybody around you, but you have immeasurably more to offer if you can offer these things out of the overflow of your clinging relationship to Jesus. If we all begin with the title of bondservant, the testimonies that we're going to tell are going to change our families, our church, our community, and our world. When we bind ourselves to Jesus, when we lock on to Jesus, we find the only way in which we can truly flourish. And when we commit to bond service of Jesus together as a church, we find the only way that we can truly flourish together. It's my dream and vision for this church that we live into that mission statement, flourishing together, that we might indeed flourish together in Jesus Christ. And that begins with the title we choose. So, how do we begin? I choose to begin by locking on to Jesus, by binding my life, my work, this church, to Jesus as a servant. I invite you to take what you are called to do, what God has put before you, and do the same. And this is where we ought to begin each and every day. Which is why it's appropriate for us to begin today at the table. In the Old Testament, when somebody chose bond service, remember bond service was something that, that was chosen, not something that was conscripted. conscripted. Uh, they would actually have to go to a public place, the, probably the temple court, somewhere in a public place, in front of a judge, and they would have to say publicly for everybody to hear, I just want everyone to know, I'm choosing this master as my master, and I'm binding my life and my wellness and who I am and my very identity to them. When I think about what we're doing this morning as we come to the table, is that not what we're doing today? Are we not coming forward and saying, I just, I just want to say that I'm binding my life to Jesus Christ. I'm locking onto him in light of his goodness, in light of all that he has done for me. I'm locking onto him and I'm taking this title as servant of Jesus Christ as the most important thing to me. As we come to the table today, I'm going to invite you to, to work through that in your own way, in your own words, in your own prayers, so that when you come and you take the bread and the cup this day, you might be able to say, I choose a life of serving Jesus Christ, of being a servant of Jesus Christ. That's the title that matters to me in light of all that he has done for me. So I invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come not to testify that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of his mercy and his help. Come, not to express an opinion, but to pray for God's presence and to wait upon his spirit.